This episode of the Bad Crypto Podcast is sponsored by CoinZoom. Stick around to learn more about them later in this episode. One of the biggest areas of society affected by the coronavirus lockdowns is education. Kids learning at home and virtual learning have led us to ask a variety of questions on the value of classroom learning, government-funded education, and more. Today, we're pleased to welcome Nadav Zemer to the show. He's the author of Education in the Digital Age, and he's got a wealth of knowledge and experience in both technology and teaching. What can we learn from the pandemic, and how do we reshape education to be more effective for future generations? Listen in today as we all learn something new on episode number 457 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, two, ignition. Who's bad? I gotta go to the can, sister. Thank you. Remember the Sister Mary Elephant, little Cheech and Chong uh, throwback for you. Welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast. We are not Cheech and Chong, man. Oh, wow, man. We're Joel and Travis, and we are your guides for these tumultuous times, although crypto seems to be one of the least tumultuous things going on right now. <sighs> It's Labrador, man. <laughs> Welcome to the show, everybody. We're glad that you're here. Want to give a shout out to our sponsor that is GamerHash, GamerHash.com. Basically, I'm not going to do the read the way it's written here. I'm just going to tell you. So you install the software on your high-end PC and you tell it to go. It benchmarks your, your processor and you tell it to go and it mines Bitcoin or other cryptos for you while you're using your computer and when your computer is not in use without taking it over completely. Like I'm mining Bitcoin right now in my underwear. Well, I'm wearing pants also, but I am wearing underwear. All right. I mean, this actually was exciting to me because it reminded me that the fact that you have been mining for a couple of months now, and I just actually got a PC, so I guess I'm going to start my mining. It's time to do it, but Travis, it's really bad for you to say this is really exciting to me after I tell you that I'm mining in my underwear. That just... <laughs> <laughs> See, what's funny is I didn't even hear you say that. That's good. Yeah, That's how much I did I say that. Yeah. Gamerhash.com and start oh, mining yeah. on your computer, especially if you've got a high-end PC. Try it. You're not alone. There's over 400,000 other customers. Gamerhash.com. And off the rails already. We started the show and off the rails immediately. There were no rails. We, we have like a, a, a principal on today, and here we are. At, we're miss. We're acting up, and we got a we got Principal Z here, and now he's going to he's listening to the podcast, and he's going to hear how we've been acting up, and then we're going to have detention. We're going to be called to the principal's office. Mm-hmm. Gosh, well, I apologize. I that didn't mean to. Infected me with his jokes. Actually, you were infectified. And I'm going to tell you a funny story before we get to the interview because you, we talked about getting called to the principal's office. When I was in high school, I uh, I took computers. And that year that I took, the first year I took computers as a freshman, they still had COBOL punch cards. So oh, nice. I haven't okay. dated myself. Wow. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, it's kind of funny. Shout out to my uh, math and computer science teacher, Joe Mercer, who I'm friends with on Facebook still. He comments on my stuff every now and then. Hi, Joe. Uh, anyway, we had access to the dot matrix printer and somehow one of my friends, somebody in class printed out a dot matrix image of a naked lady on the school printer. Well, uh -oh. I was uh -oh. holding it and looking at it when Joe saw, and of course he had to do what he had to do. He kind of grinned, but he's like, what is that? And he looked at it and he looked at me and he walked me to the Dean's office. <laughs> <laughs> with this top matrix printout, like three pages of this nice. naked lady with, you know, an ASCII code and uh, the principal who also was my driving instructor. You know, he looked at me, he's like, don't do it again. I'm like, I oh didn't even God. do it. ASCII like, code photos, like those should be NFTs. I know, right? Right. No, I, I have one story too. So I was in seventh grade and we were in band uh, or no, we were in choir and on the back of there was a blackboard and on the other side was like a whiteboard and somebody had written in it this poem. And then I, I thought it was funny, but I didn't understand the, the joke really. But uh, it was it was funny as it was. I wrote it down. I was because I was thinking about it. Uh, but it said it said uh, it's, it said it's these words in the dirty way. So friends may come spelled in the dirty way. Friends may come. Friends may go. Uh, friends may peter out, you know, but I'll be your friend through thick or thin. Peter out or Peter in. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I remember it to this day because I wrote it down. I was like, it's okay, I got to understand what all these words mean because it seems funny and I, it seems like something jokes going on in my head. And then my seventh grade English teacher found it. And then I had to go to the principal's office to explain about all this Peter out and then Peter in it. Well, now we both got to go to the principal's office. Let's go to our interview with Nadav Zemer. <laughs> They're learning different stuff in school because different skills are needed to succeed in the world. And today we've got a guest with us who understands this intersection of technology and education. His name is Nadav Zemmer. He is of the author. He is of the you are of the authoring of the book Education in the Digital Age. The website is educationinthedigitalage.org. You are also of the person who has a free PDF for people at principalz.org. We're going to share more about that. Nadav, welcome to Bad Crypto. It's an honor and a privilege. Well, you, you can wait to see if it's actually an honor yet. It's definitely a privilege because a lot of people want to be on, but mm, you can let us know if you feel honored after your time with us. Even better if I don't. <laughs> so uh, go ahead and give us a little bit about your background here in education and technology. Yeah, so I was a software engineer in Silicon Valley and Palo Alto for a few years, worked in the city, uh, doing like tech consulting, building scripts and doing like, you know, whatever small businesses needed. And then took that to New York when my grandparents were getting older and did that consulting work here and then got a big job offer. The big one I was waiting for, what I always wanted, kind of validated all of the, you know, ego trips that I needed validated. And I didn't say yes. I needed the offer. But somehow once I got the offer, I was so clear that's not what I want to do with my life. And so I became a high school physics teacher, a robotics coach, took that robotics team. We were one of the top teams in the country coming from, uh, you know, a pretty poor neighborhood uh, vocational school and then worked always with media in school, always doing podcasting and video with my students from the beginning and seeing the impact of that. And then that led up to now with COVID, people really are understanding what I'm talking about for the first time. I've been doing it for 20 years and people are suddenly turning and saying, wait. This makes sense that kids will use their screens to produce content rather than consume content. Let's talk about that. So that's where I'm at now. 
And that is that is a, a key pivotal moment there too of not just consuming, but creating. And right. so, so how does that work? Because I have a daughter who is just starting ninth grade in the COVID era, and my son just graduated high school in the COVID area era. It was a weird graduation. And basically, what we like to say, it's the longest spring break they've ever had because yeah. it's, it hasn't stopped yet. Now they're back in school. So how are students creating content and how is that, how is that uh, useful from your guys' end? So you'll really get this because it's fresh for you. Think of 11th and 12th graders, right? The kids that the principal, the administration feel confident to send out to the world as like hyper-local journalists. So they uh -huh. go to the protest. They've prepared questions. They've talked about this. They've done some research into the history with their teachers and they're ready to go. And then they go to the protest to collect the footage they need for a 10-minute um, video segment. And those 10-minute video or audio segments um, become a form of capital. Academic capital is what we call it. Um, yeah. And so it's all based on kids. Uh, and we don't want kids on their screens. The point is to get out into the world. Outside is pretty safe with COVID. So being together outside doing a film project or, an, or a podcast um, is relatively safe. It gets kids out of the school. So social distancing makes it easier for administrators like myself. I'm a high school principal. And there are some other implications that we'll get into in terms of how credits are designed if they're going to be project-based. But the basic idea here, if we just boil it down to one sentence, is instead of sitting for an AP exam, you make a video or a podcast. You have that choice. It's open mm. to you. And so we, we shift off of standardized testing and standardized thinking. Content creation. Uh, well, obviously, you know, learning how to create content and podcast or do videos is a skill that, uh, you know, we've both put to good use and not one necessarily that was, you know, taught to us. I remember, you know, when I was in high school being in the AV club, because that's what the nerds did, right? But yep it's not about nerds anymore. Now it's, you know, the alleged cool kids want to be in that as well. And, you know, speaking of when I was in high school, um, I remember that we were one of the first schools in suburban Chicago area to get uh, Apple IIe computers. And I was a sophomore the year they arrived because when I was a freshman, they were still using COBOL punch cards for <laughs> computer science uh, 101, which I hated. And then we got the Logic. apples Oh my gosh, I'm all in. This is great. So what are the the schools that are on the cutting edge now when kids are showing up? What's the technology that they're using that would make them cutting edge? I don't think it's technology. I think it's the project-based approach to learning. So the students, you know, think about what's happening with Uber, with Airbnb, what this inversion that's hitting, right? The digital economy is inverting business. The same pressure is happening in education, right? It's no different. So what is that? It means that the crowd is showing up and is showing up smarter than you could ever be as a centralized research and development firm, right? So using the crowd, um, crowdsourcing or creating these decentralized markets um, platforms is, and that's, you know, crypto, it's um, that it, so that so what does that look like in education? It means that the students are the ones creating and the teachers are the ones listening. Right. And how the teachers listen matters more than what they say. And the experience that students have is what we're talking about. Um, and we only measure the quality of their work product. That's all we measure for educational data is how good their projects are. And we have to talk about how do you do that? How do you measure them objectively? But it's definitely better than a standardized test. I would say this, you seem to me to be an educational innovator. Uh, now, a lot of school, Joel and I've had a lot of conversations around this. Traditionally, school seems to be like this. Sit down, be quiet, listen to me, write it down. It's going to be on the test. And what it does is it creates this sort of 
uh, you know, it was the Rockefeller Education Center. We want cogs in our factories. We want we want people to sit down and shut up, not be critical thinkers. We want them to do as we say, and then they get out into the world, and then the media tells them what, and all this other stuff, and they just buy into it because they're used to listening to authoritarian figures telling them what to do. Sounds to me like you're kind of flipping the switch, switch on this a little bit and allowing people to go out and experience life and to create that's a totally different education mechanism. Right. So what you're describing, you did a great job describing is industrial education. And yeah. right. And we can we can go through the history, but you nailed it. It's exactly what you're talking about. I don't think we need to talk about it too much. We all know what we're talking about. Top down. Well, a lot and of people don't realize that, though. I mean, it's that's an epiphany for some people to realize, oh, this is this is not teaching me to go out and be an entrepreneur, or teaching me to go out and be a critical thinker. It's teaching me to go have a job at some some schmoes company and, and work for 20, 40 years at some place. It's not teaching us life critical skills that are that are ne necessary today. So the kids know that, right? They're the, they, they know that kids see through bullshit faster than anybody else, teenagers. Right. So mm. they know this. And so that's why our schools are getting even more. You'd think that they'd be getting, you know, heading toward digital. They're actually going the opposite way because our schools now have to hold warehouse children who no longer buy into the bullshit narrative of standardized thinking. And so we have to be more coercive to keep them in the classrooms until the bells ring, you know, mm. you know, bell to bell instruction is what we're told to push as, you know, administrators, keep them in those seats that's their credit is seat time with that instructor who's certified and that certification gives them some magic power to tell you you got the grade why are teachers getting to grade their own kids work the kids manipulate them other teachers should be grading their kids work right that would be a little more fair as a system a little more mm. so that's that's how this ha starts to happen um yeah so we, we're right now getting more and more violent almost with how our schools are like prisons you got to do you're the time a, you're dangerous you're you're dangerous to the teachers unions, I think. I hope not. I've always been a union guy. I'm a big union guy. And I think they will be positioned to have a huge head start ahead of anybody else on this platform. If they don't take advantage of it, shame on them. But well, it's up I, to their I teachers so. demanding it. I, I hope that's the case. And when we talk about, you know, adopting this new technology and hoping people welcome it with open arms, how would you apply blockchain technology to the high school process. Okay, so let me just give a little bit of, um, so it's academic capital. The short answer is this concept that the, um, the, what I'm working on is to generate academic capital in the world. So what is academic capital, right? Um, and the first thing is to realize that in the digital age, currencies, you know, we used to fight based on land and then we fought based on capital and machinery, right? We're fighting over the most abstract form of control, which is cash. Right. Digital cash has not yet come out. It's going to come out very soon. And the war for who wins, you know, whether it's Facebook or China, um, that digital cash war, there's something there. And what I'm asserting is that education is actually what's going to determine which countries make money in the digital age and which don't. And so building education into the digital cash infrastructure, there's something amazing that can happen to generate economic opportunity for particular communities who are able to educate their young people to tell bullshit for, you know, signal from noise. When you listen to a politician to be able to tell when it's bullshit because you scratch the surface to do a little critical thinking, right? So that critical thinking not only makes our democracy stronger, it makes our economy stronger, anti-fragile. If we can be put into boxes together and controlled, then a few people at the top control everybody and both of those fall apart. We want everybody to think a little differently. We want diversity of thought and critical thinking. And so critical thinking requires something that's not standardized by definition. 
right? So getting away from the standardized test is what we focus on. Let's get off of those tests in high school. And imagine the student, the teachers union saying, we now are going to fight for the right for our teachers never to have to teach to a test again. That's a right of a teacher. That was malpractice. And now our teachers can always opt for these video and podcast things. So why should they ever be forced to teach to a test? So the union should get behind this because this is teaching, right? Standardization is not teaching. Well, you know, there's there's a, a, a school of thought around the types of intelligence. And if you're standardizing everyone, you're assuming everybody is the same. And I got this article here on uh, that I pulled up online from adioma.com, but it talks about the nine types of intelligence. There's a naturalist that are nature smart. There's musical who are sound smart, logical, mathematical who are numbering and reasoning smart. There's existential, which is life smart, interpersonal, which is people smart, body or kinesthetic, body smart, linguistic, word smart, interpersonal, self smart, spatial, picture smart, and probably technologically smart. And there's some other intelligence as well. But then you come in and you heard you heard students in like cattle. You teach them all the same thing. You make them all do the same work, but. They, they're not all the same. And it, nowhere in the, the American educational system that I've seen up until this point have they individually tested a student to see where their areas of expertise, like my daughter, she's music smarts off the charts. Like she loves music. She picked up bass and is like this. And, and she's doing the school of rock thing. And she's got of the eight songs, she's playing seven of them. Right. And she's and this is just her second session that she's had. She loves it. She picks it up quickly. Now, English and words, you know, that's not she's not she's not a genius in that area. So I think that you're hitting something there that says they standardize tests, assume everybody is the same. We're not all the same and we're all unique in our own, you, you know, different ways. And you are a proponent of teaching to people's strengths instead of standardizing everything to everyone. That's right. That's right. That's absolutely exactly right. Um, I think we need to be doing revisions. We need to build muscles. It's like going to the gym and having weak muscles, learning how to get feedback, right? And do three revisions for every upload. So imagine social media, you whip out a camera and you do all, you know, fast, whatever, throw it on, you do a hundred a day. This system only lets you post once per month, right? There's some fee associated with that post. It's gone through three revisions with a coach. So this is like academic content. This is not social media. This mm. is academic capital. And it's distinct. It's similar to social media in some ways, but it's distinct. But you guys could set up and make your own high school credit. And if students chose that credit and their school approved them doing it, you could actually be designing high school credits. And then students upload pieces to that credit and people get paid to evaluate credit experts, get paid, and it creates this little ecosystem around your ideas of education. Credit in how to be bad. Right. We could teach them how to be bad. That'd Not be bad good. meaning bad, but bad meaning good. Bad meaning, yeah. So this is a, a core change yeah. to the educational system. I mean, this is not no, the, like... The, the change to the educational system, actually, I am I think I've got because of COVID. That was where the miracle happened for me. That's ready. They need it. The change in blockchain, like to get a community of blockchain people around the idea of forming a group to design this coin. And I, I have the contours designed, but I haven't built the effing thing and I don't, there are going to be things that have to get invented, you know, but the basic concept of have, so the idea is this, we issue a basic income in funny money, right? In cryptocurrency to the kids who are the award winners in each city for being digital native, for producing these videos and, and, you know, podcasts, the ones that 
So we're talking about who who wins these awards, right? But the award winners get put on a block. They get bundled together. All their 10-minute segments get bundled together into a block. Um, once every three months, it's a very slow blockchain of content. Once every three months, you form that is academic capital. Those pieces that are in that block are now officially academic capital, which causes an issuing of monthly cryptocurrency to their wallet for the next 25 years. We're giving money to the kids that are b- best positioned. They're about to go into the workforce. They're graduating high school. They're the most well-trained to discern bullshit from noise. They're not going to get controlled or manipulated, right? And they're going to teach us and help us transition to the digital economy. So I'm what my call is, the crazy call that I'm making is to the blockchain community saying, let's build a digital cash system that incentivizes academic capital so that the communities that build academic capital have a financial Incentive being pumped into their kids' wallets as a basic income award every month that they then spread out into the economy. So the inflation of this coin, the new coins that get printed, minted, get minted through the wallets of these kids who have proven themselves to be ready to receive it. That's fascinating. So, you know, having <clears throat> having two kids that are in this in this age group right now, I can tell you this, you know, at the end of last year, my son didn't like doing those Zoom calls. I bet I bet the majority of students in his high school did about 25% of the work they would they were normally supposed to do and they and everybody was just like wow this is really crazy okay everybody passes based on what your score was after the first semester that is and- such an important point right that's that is the the just like with dollars like we're printing them like crazy and so they're going to lose their value inflation we're printing grades public school credits like crazy right now give them away for free Right. Because of COVID, because if we didn't, kids would back up in the system. We'd have twice as many seniors with social distancing and cutting budgets. It's impossible. you got to move them along. And so everybody's Mm -hmm. getting used to doing nothing. So the competition in the space of high school credits, which is what I'm creating as a new type of high school credit, the competition is nothing because the public school system is so effed up that those credits have zero value. And everybody depends on the AP exams, basically. Mm -hmm. And there's no academic capital to back up what they say that they did because there's no there's no proof. There's no verifiable proof anywhere that they did the work because it's all in the teacher's head. Imagine if your daughter's transcript, every credit you could click on and watch the video or listen to the podcast that earned that credit. You could check for yourself the quality of work. Your teacher gave you a B, but I'd give you a D minus. Right. Go clean the damn kitchen. By the way, we don't call it funny money here. We call it magical internet money. I'll have to practice that. So, you know, you make a claim that for a system to be anti-fragile, it must be anti-biased as a necessity, if not a sufficient condition. We talk a lot about bias in the media here and bias. um, It doesn't just extend to the media. It extends deep into our educational system where we've got teachers out there that I would put in the bad teacher bucket, even though their intentions might be well-meaning, that place a worldview onto what they're teaching the kids. And so how do you make a system anti-fragile and anti-biased? You decentralize it. The more people are designing credits, the more credits you have to choose from. Basic example, AP, advanced placement, the college board manages them. They're a nonprofit, right? They create these tests and then they get paid for grading the tests. Okay. What I'm suggesting is they just get paid for grading videos and podcasts And I'm creating an infrastructure where instead of them designing the project-based work themselves, having to form a committee and centralize, they can just go out there and see what other people created and say, hey, we'll give you the college board stamp of approval. You'll be an AP credit. Who wouldn't want that? They have this this power already, and I'm letting them convert it into an economic advantage so that they can go out and just grab the best shit that other people make in a decentralized way and put their brand on it. 
and they don't have to do anything. They just let this, that money come in that was paying them to grade test. Now they get to pay to why wouldn't you join me and do this and give the, give the option at least if you don't uh, disavow tests immediately. These people are in the educational testing evaluation business. I'm a data driven educator. That's my that's what I'm known for is how I use data. And so I get I think we think the same way. I get what they're I, I think if we could talk, if I could sit down across from somebody at the college board, I think they would get what I'm saying. Um, and, and in this COVID time, they might, it might be crazy, but they might actually do it because right now kids are taking tests at home. How do you ensure security for a kid for a multiple choice? You can't put kids in a room right now with no windows and take a test. So they're having them take these AP tests at home. And like, that's gotta be a big mess. So I'm offering them a really easy out. The money is still there. And the opportunity now is just to go project-based. I want to toss back to the unions, though, for a moment. And I know you're you support, and I guess it depends what union you're you're a part of. But centralization is key for these teachers' unions. How can you Isn't that get ironic? on your side if you're going to be taking power from them outwardly? There's there's no hiding this. This strips the unions of power, which I'm for. So it, again, it it might, it could, um, it it. Um, so you're you're making a link from standardized testing to the unions. I'm making a link from decentralizing education and and how you reward, you know, the students and what they're learning from you know from the centralized version of it that we have right now. I mean, we have a lot of schools that are failing horribly, right? You've got you've got. The way I see it, three types of teachers out there, and I'm generalizing. This is a broad, sweeping generalization. You have those that are extremely passionate about what they do and really care about their kids. Then on the other side, you've got those that they might be jaded. They might just be, you know, phoning it in, cashing the check, or they might be there just to support their own agenda and not really care about the kids. And then you've got the middle, right? The part of the bell curve. Where are the, and, where are the communists? Where are they? Yeah, they would be on the throughout. Uh, not throughout. Maybe, maybe throughout. Well, I don't know how you, how you could be one and really care about the kids because teaching your kids how to be good socialists is really not teaching them independence. But regardless of where they are um, on the spectrum, I, I would think like any other system that's centralized that there would be a lot of resistance. Now, I don't want there to be. I'm all for changing the system. And I love what you're saying. So whether I, there's resistance is an issue. Okay, I get that. There might be resistance. But what I'm talking about here, I think if you I'm taking power from the politicians who right now define a credit and their interest is to do is to print more money, print more credits because they want to show the numbers going up. So they keep lowering the bar. Right. So their incentive is driven toward dishonoring kids and the teachers feel the impact of that. So I'm getting behind teachers and I'm saying, you know, teachers, you get to create the credits. You get to define the credits. These credits are controlled and managed now by teachers who can think long term in the interest of the kids, the teachers, educators know who the kids are. Now, I, I might be threatening some university programs that certify teachers because there will be opportunities now to make money as a side hustle in education by being an administrator of educational credits without ever having gained you know, the certification or taught in a classroom. We can talk about that. Um, but the teachers union, if they are a, you know, a union of professionals, that's union is decentralized of prof you know, like if we can hold them to their word, um, I think they, that we can get them to, can, you know, I don't know. And th there will be pockets of resistance, of course, because there are links between stand, I'm sure, between corporate education and the unions. I don't know what they are, though. I want to add on to that because I think that's fascinating. <clears throat> My question is, is around around this. So Joel and I have talked about Joel and I have talked about this. I think 
you know, uh, in, in teaching, what, it's like 83% of teachers are women at this point or something. And they've gone generations of being well underpaid, right? We'll go spend $5 trillion blowing up people in the Middle East, but we won't spend enough money on educators to get good educators to stay as educators. So what's happened over time is the great educators have left and gone off to start businesses or go get a job somewhere else where they're going to go get paid more. Now, and the, and the educators that stay, a lot of them, you know, truth be told, they think, well, I'm vastly underpaid. We all, Socialism needs to happen because look at how badly we're paid. We need to balance out the system somewhere. So the system itself creates an imbalance. So is there a way within your blockchain system to incentivize teachers, like for every student that submits a podcast or one of these uh, academic capital videos that they that they graded or they earned or what like they get a kickback too so that way this the teachers are incentivized to do a much better job of teaching so that we get a better education system as a whole we have to if the teachers are not incentivized if the teachers can't make cash from this what are we doing i mean they're leading they're the leaders so if we're not supporting the leadership, what what are we doing? They're going to lead us to victory here, right? Nobody else. I mean, everybody else. But the teachers are the ones that, that are the, they're the resource. That's the that's the hidden. If you can activate that, um, and the teachers that have given up and are just you know just taking the paycheck are the ones that had the biggest dreams and hopes to become teachers and fell the hardest and broke. Um, but it was because and they have some memory of their big you know lofty dreams. And if you speak to those, you might even be able to flip a couple of those over too. Well, let me throw this out there. So, like, say one of your students goes makes it to Harvard or something like there could almost be like a a blockchain system. And it's like you know as as more of your students su- succeed in education and go and get a degree, it's or get approved to go you know admitted into some amazing college. Like, there's kickbacks. It's like. It would be awesome if Harvard was like, hey, great job, teachers, of getting this student ready for Harvard. And then Harvard kicks back some dollars back to those schools or something. They're sitting on billions. Harvard's sitting on billions and billions of dollars in there. Right. And they have their uh, brand of critical thinking that they can now inject into schools by giving their stamp of approval to certain credits. Right. So they Harvard Harvard could play a huge role in this uh, on this platform. Um, what you let's just talk about specifically the two pieces that I mentioned and didn't go into depth is the how the teachers can make that extra money. Where is the incentive for the teachers to make that money? Um, and then what does it mean to de- have a decentralized administration of a high school credit? So those two pieces actually fit together because who we pay to administer these high school credits are the educators or the teachers who have a track record of results in the system. And I'll specify what that means exactly. Um, so the teachers that can help a group of kids earn credits. Right. So let's let's just imagine the system's running. There are these anonymous graders online. You upload a credit. They say if you earn a credit or not. Upper zero. Right. Now, the teacher says when they upload their they supported their students, when the student uploads, the teacher says, yes, I think this is ready for a credit. If they nail it, if every time they say it's ready for a credit, the graders agree with them, the graders are going to be like this. They get it. They get this credit. They get what it takes to make one of these credits. You can become one of the graders as a grader. You can make up to 180 bucks an hour, you know, and you just sign up. You put in the system this week. I want to do two hours of grading. And you can, you know, sit there and grade pieces up or down. And it's a specific credit that you've already helped coach kids on. So you know how to generate those credits and what it takes. So that's how the teachers can make money on the side, admit being administrators, kind of part-time administrators. Now, they do have some competition. Other people, you know, maybe a podcaster wants to create a side hustle for themselves. So they might learn how to coach kids to get these credits. And they might start wanting to grade credits on the side. So there is some competition to the teachers, right? But 
I think teachers have a head start in helping kids do project-based work. They are given students. They're given resources. Nobody else is given that stuff. You'd have to work with your cousins or something, you know? So the teachers have a huge head start and the union has a huge head start. Um, but there is there is also competition. When you decentralize, everyone can play the game. I love the idea of everybody playing the game. I think this is incredibly disruptive and I'm all for disruption. And I'm wondering if there's so much so many problems and corruption inherent in the the public school system do we need a do over and is this the path to do that no we need to sidejack it we need to use its own momentum use its resources use its building use its teachers right we don't need to get rid of anybody we need to use that system toward the right aim you know redirect that system um, and everybody in the system wants is on is actually on board to do this. Each individual. That's kind of how I did a lot of this innovative stuff in my school. It's hard to innovate. And New York City is the hardest place, hardest district, I assert, to innovate in the country. And maybe I'm wrong. That's what I assert. And I think I have some evidence to back it up. But what I did is I we created this school that when you walked in, it was so magical that people, human beings, that auditors administrators would walk in and they're individual human beings first, and auditors administrators second. But when they feel something special, they know to leave it alone, right? Just in honor of the kids. They're like, wow. Like, you know, the one of the high-level ranking people came into my building. I did not know he was coming. Right as he walked in, three kids said, hold on a second. You look important. I'll be right back. They ran to a room, grabbed a microphone, sat him down in a chair and said, we have some questions for you. First, who are you and what's your name? Right? And they, they just started grilling the guy on education policy stuff. They were dying to you know, dive in with somebody. And these are kids that were kicked out of other schools. I work at a transfer school, so it's only kids yeah. that have been kicked out of other schools that other schools didn't want. Some of them were illiterate, but on the microphone, they were brilliant podcast hosts. Sounds like you're breeding a new generation of actual journalists, right? Because that's one of the problems that we believe we have in our country is we have activists that are disguised as journalists. And when you take kids, they usually don't have an agenda. They just have questions and want to know. And if you could teach people how to ask questions and not put your own uh, you know, feelings and thoughts into what somebody else is saying or what the desired outcome is, now you've got the makings of a good journalist who can actually report on what's happening. And even if they don't do it anywhere after that in their lives, if high school is this magical time that you do this active journalism, the rest of your life as a citizen, you will look at posts and choose what to forward a little more intelligently because you understand the impact of when you like something and when you forward something because you got to play in there. You got to go to rallies. You got to interact with it, not hear about it, not talk about it. School, high school, 11th and 12th grade can no longer be talking about crap. The kids have to be in it. Right. They have to be experiencing it. It's about experiences for their generation. Let's honor that and let them get out there and have some effing experiences and blow us away with the, what they produce as a result, because they always do. That's it's fascinating to me. And uh, so so you've written a book. you got yeah. a book out there and uh, it's dedicated to someone named Tamisha. Tell us about the book and tell us what's that all about. Sorry, I, you choked me up. It's a sweet question and not everybody asks it. Um, and it's uh, so Playing in the next room is Tamisha's daughter. Uh, Tamisha's daughter has been in my care, in our care as a family. We're foster parents. Um, mm -hmm. She was homeless at one point, and so we built a room in our house, and she lived with us for a little over a year. Uh, her daughter got a really aggressive form of cancer, and so we all lived at the hospital for the six months after that. Mm -hmm. um, she's the first girl to survive this cancer in that hospital. In 25 years of their practice, nobody's wow. ever survived. And now she's 99.9% cancer-free, the fact she's lived Excellent. this long. And it's bone marrow from Tamisha's hip that made it possible. They took a, they killed all the bone marrow in faith and they put Tamisha's bone marrow in her. So 
um, yeah, so we've had a journey together, and so it's dedicated to her because she represents so much about who I'm committed to making a difference for. Wow, that is powerful. You're you're not just uh, talking the talk; you're walking the walk and and making a real difference. I want people to go check out uh, your stuff. Principle Z dot org is a website where there is a free pdf from nadav called four keys to accessing deeper learning It's completely free just put your name and email in there and sign up for it and uh, what will people discover when they grab that so you'll be added to my mailing list and i'll update you when um so one thing that's happening right now since the book a uh, software team in finland uh, read the book and got excited they're actually building an app they've built an app that um, is what I talk about in the book. So things have evolved. Some of the languages involved. I, you know, I talk about gatekeepers in the book. Now I talk about them as credit experts. Um, and so we've built, we've, yeah, we went through the process of designing this app. So if you're on the mailing list, you'll find out when the app is out and how to participate. It's open source. It's decentralized. It's not profit. This isn't, you know, I'm not making money off this. This is trying to organize a group of educators to make our high schools a really special time in young people's lives. I have a question. Have you gone to like the EduCause conference or gone to South by Southwest EDU, because those are a couple of really big educational technology conferences that I think you should be speaking at. Absolutely. As soon as, yeah. And we didn't, this is the first year, you know, cycle of events that we actually have. I have somebody that's built the product. And so absolutely. I think I look forward to um, getting people's hands on this thing and seeing what we want to start with a pilot. That's really small, just proof of concept in Harlem, just to, with people that I know, and just so I can, you know, be involved in the the launch and give Harlem credit because all the learning came from that community. Um, and then we plan to launch uh, broader, I'm hoping by early 2021. So uh, by the time my daughter gets to, you know, she's in fifth grade now, gets to high school, I'm hoping that this is really like everybody assumes that this is just like Uber. You assume you take an Uber to get somewhere. I hope they assume that they get one of these credits um, to to show their learning rather than an AP test. You know who would be credit? You know who would be a big fan of this? Uh, our friend Oz Sultan, who's actually running for state senate there in Harlem. He's mm-hmm. running for that seat. So if you'd like a connection, yes. we're happy to, uh, to link you up with him. Huge. Oh, that's, he, I didn't even think of that. That's great. He, he would that's be amazing. very excited to see this. He's a, uh, he's a wizard. He is a wizard. Uh, well, so are you, Nadav. Thanks for joining us today. And we do encourage you guys to go principalz.org. Go sign up for his list. This is real world application of blockchain technology. The, yeah, it's got something to do with crypto, but it's about something much, much bigger. It's about the future generations. So thanks Let me again. just throw in info at principalz is my email. I, I'll answer personally. I would love for you to dig in. If so, there's something we didn't go into detail and you want to know more, let's talk. Info at principalz.org. Yeah, thanks. That's it. Thanks, buddy. Okay, thanks, guys. Well, fortunately, we escaped the principal's office and we got time off for good behavior, although you do need to write on the blackboard 100 times, Mr. Travis Wright, that you will not be naughty again. I will not. I will. I will not peter in. I will not mint NF titties. <laughs> oh my goodness we went off the rails here apologize principal z we were, got we on the rails for the interview and then it went off the rails again that's true we were trying to be on the rails but we're beyond the pale mr travis wright how about you take us out of here classy and tell everybody about this cool debit card that allows them to spend their cryptos you don't want me to say my poem again you can if you want to, or maybe maybe tell them about CoinZoom in a, as a poem. 
Okay, right. Crypto go boom. You need coin zoom. Get a card. It's not that hard. Go to badco.in forward slash coin zoom, and then they'll send a card to you in your room. And you can spend it, and nothing rhymes with spend it. So I'm going to end it. See, there you go. You got there. U.S.-based, deregulated, institutional-grade digital currency trading platform bridging the gap between legacy and financial exchanges, future stocks and banking, making digital assets available to traders around the globe. Yo, buy, sell, trade crypto easily on the CoinZoom exchange. Go to badco.in forward slash CoinZoom. And when you do, boy, $10 in free crypto. For Don't you. Huh. <laughs> we really need to stay in our lane. <laughs> I don't know. I thought my poems today were pretty stellar. You're <laughs> They're going to award you with whatever the poetry award is. <laughs> is there a Nobel oh, Peace Prize for poetry? Because because of your poem, there is peace now everywhere around the globe. Oh, that is so exciting. I feel very honored. I I got nominated for less uh, Nobel Peace Prizes than Trump, though. He's got three. Mr. Travis Wright uh, did not mention this in the last episode, but the not only did we announce that Blockchain Heroes 2 is coming in December, but many of you purchased the Blockchain Heroes physical card set. Hear this? Mm. That's the cards in their little plastic case with a QR code for bonus NFTs. We now have the cards and we'll be shipping these out. So if you do have the Blockchain Heroes physical card NFTs that you purchase in our presale, go to claimheroes.com and you will find all the instructions to be able to fill out the form and claim your physical deck so that we can ship them to you. Can't wait for you guys to see them. They're so cool. If you haven't gotten a deck yet, you can still find the NFTs from the presale on the secondary market at atomichub.io. Just look for, um, on the left side, you'll see the account for official hero. Click there and then look for pre-sale packs and uh, and you can still acquire them there. Uh, these, these cards are so cool. It's so rewarding to work so hard on making these heroes and then to be able to hold them in your hand. Mm, yeah, I mean, we got I got sent some of the samples and they look really good, especially the refractor ones. The Titan decks are unbelievable. And if you don't have one, folks, you can still get one on Atomic Hub. Go to atomichub.io, go to the market, and you can find, uh, if you just type in deck, Titan deck or hero deck, they should pop up. There's like 130 of them in the marketplace right now. Some, some of them are actually selling for lower than whenever we sold them in retail, which is strange. But go through the process, get, get one of them, because they're going to be a fun thing to share up to people about what blockchain is. We've included 50 of the top heroes, well, 49, because Joel and I are in it uh, as a card, but we're not heroes, but we're kind of, we're more, we're more jesters. But it was, it, it's good. You're going to be able to show people these and then tell the story about who some of these people are based on and people will see them and they'll just cool on their own. Be like, what's blockchain? Oh, blockchain heroes. Well, that's cool. What's that? What's blockchain? And uh, show people them. I think it'll be fun. I think that'll be, in some cases, it'll be the first time some people have ever heard of or seen blockchain might be these cards. You are correct, Sir Lord Travis Wright. As always, a pleasure speaking with you, recording content, and sharing it with the world. In the Thank Republic. you, Sir Lord Joel. Bad Cryptopia. We'll catch you guys on the next episode. Make sure that you share, like, review, friend, 
uh, send donuts, cookies, but not to Travis because he's doing keto right now. Mm, that is true. You know what? I'm on day 13 in a row of keto. Oh, oh, that's the class bell. Time is up. Time to go. Stay bad, everybody. Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of bitcoins and and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor. I can think clearly now my soup is gone.